It's always a good day to be in the house of the Lord. But even a more special day when we can celebrate baptisms together. It's mornings like this that I remember my own baptism in a little rural Baptist church up on a hill in a small town in Missouri. And perhaps maybe that's where you are all, some of you are all this morning. A bit of nostalgia for your baptism seeps into you as you enter into the space and witness what Sydney and Lily just professed moments ago. Here at Gibbon Baptist Church, we believe baptism is a significant choice in the life of a believer. It is a public profession of faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is done out of obedience to Christ and in a manner following his own example. It is a symbol of an individual's old self remaining in the water as a new self or a new creation emerges from the waters because of the grace of God. And we believe that baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience that has already taken place through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And while we believe the ordinance of baptism should be enacted in a ritual of immersion in water, much like what happened moments ago, I believe there is more to baptism than that. In fact, I believe baptism is also a commitment to a lifestyle that is one is charged to live by each and every day. Baptism is not meant to be a one-and-done sort of deal. It should not be a past event with no relevance to our present. It should not be something we easily take for granted or forget. Every one of us who has been baptized, we are meant to recall that as we regularly walk with the Lord through this life. And so I cannot think of a better occasion to speak not only to Sydney and Lily who were baptized moments ago, but also to all of us who have similarly experienced baptism at some point in our faith journey and about the significance of living our baptism. For those interested in maybe coming forward someday for baptism in the future, I hope you'll lean in as, in, in as well to discover that baptism is more than simply joining me or someone else in a pool of water like the one behind me. We are called not simply to be baptized, but also to live our baptism. And I see in our text this morning two aspects of living our baptism. One, a necessity to avoid retracing our steps. And two, a calling to put on the right wardrobe. Living our baptism requires us to avoid retracing our steps by changing the way that we walk. And I'm not talking about how we physically walk or maybe the shoes that you want to put on in the morning. Rather, I'm referring to the way in which we live our lives and how we walk through life. Paul tells the Ephesian Christians, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And initially, this may seem a tad strange and even a bit inconsiderate because Paul is primarily speaking to a bunch of Gentile Christians. But Paul is not talking about being Gentiles in the sense of ethnicity or geography, but in terms of habits and convictions. He's referring to the things the Gentile Ephesian Christians formerly did in their past before they became Christians, before they became believers. The Ephesian Christians are still Gentile by blood, but now they are part of a new family by the shedding of someone else's blood on a cross on Calvary. And God's new family of Jews and Gentiles created by God should not and does not mimic the walking of unbelievers. Paul is worried that the Ephesians may regress, may backslide, may revert to walking like they used to before becoming, coming into faith in Jesus, before being regenerated, or before we would say this morning, being baptized. 
And Paul establishes a clear contrast between how the Gentiles walk and how the Ephesians learned the way of Christ. Walking like unbelievers, someone has become callous or insensitive to sin, has ultimately surrendered themselves to sin's lordship, and has excessively desires or thirst to sin again without thought or care. Paul elsewhere in the other's letters would list out a laundry list of sins to make his point, but here in Ephesians, he is brief and succinct. Perhaps his audience is too familiar with the former ways of walking that Paul does not find the need to elaborate to make his point. All he can do is summarize every kind of impurity. To walk like an unbeliever is to walk with a numbness to not only the things of God, but also relating to other people. Martin Luther described this as a human being curved in upon oneself, like wood shavings after you plane a board. In place of God in their life, unbelievers place themselves at the center, and also they make themselves into their own God, substituting for the real God. They lose feeling or interest towards knowing and being in relationship with God. They're separated from him. This has further consequences as they lose feeling for the needs and thoughts of others. Exploiting and taking advantage of others no longer phases them. And all that is left is a darkened mind and a hardness of heart. A mind caught in a maze of ignorance and blindness to the reality of God and the prospect of eternal life. A hardened heart that is not melted with empathy and compassion for what softens the heart of God. Instead, it solidifies and calcifies around one's own self-interest and desires, often to the detriment of others. This is how the Ephesian Christians used to walk. And likely this is how maybe some of their unbelieving family, friends, and associates in their neighborhoods, schools, and places of business operate by default. This is what the Apostle Paul warns the Ephesians not to return or regress to walking like because it runs contrary to walking like Jesus. This is the old way of walking that goes into the waters of baptism. This is what we bury, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hence, this is why Paul tells the Ephesians to no longer walk like this. This old walking regiment and routine has been crucified with Christ at baptism. It has been put to death into the immersion of baptism. It leads nowhere good. It leads only to heartache, pain, and Destruction. Don't try to resurrect what has been put to death with Christ. Don't try to walk in the footprints of your old self. Don't allow that old self that you have crucified with Christ in the waters of baptism resurface and walk back out. Baptism is a sign that we have invited a change. A change to take place in our heart after we have been repentant and converted. It is a transformation, a metamorphosis in a way. In baptism, we have confessed that we are belonging to Christ. That we desire to sacrifice that old way of walking and publicly announce that we are choosing a new way of walking which allows us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but it requires us not to retrace our muddy footprints of sin. A little lamb and his mother passed the pig pen every day on their way to the pasture. 
The lamb looked longingly at the pigs wallowing in the mire, and he asked his mother if he could go play in the mud. But his mother replied, no, sheep don't wallow. But he would look over at the pigs in the mud, and it looked just so much fun, and on hot days, the mud looked cool to the touch. And so one day, when the lamb was older, he let his mother go on just a little bit ahead, and he jumped over that fence and started playing in the mud. The cool mud on that hot day felt so good around his ankles, and so he decided just to go in just a little bit deeper. It got up all onto his belly, and he was cooling off, but he quickly discovered that wool and mud don't mix very well. And it began to cake on his wool until he realized that he was stuck and he couldn't get out. His pleasure had become his prison. And he began to cry out for help. And finally, the farmer came and took him back to the pasture. And his mother reminded him, sheep don't wallow. Christians aren't to wallow in the mire of sin any longer. While this is not a guarantee that we won't sin in our lives post our baptism, it does mean that we choose with God's help to not intentionally and deliberately wallow in the mud of sin any longer. We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, practicing every kind of impurity. And it may look appealing, but remember that it inevitably leads to a trap. It leads to addiction. It leads to enslavement. It leads to destruction. To live our baptism is to remind ourselves daily that while the path through the mud and muck of sin seems pleasurable and even manageable, it is not the path that our Lord and Savior treads. This is why the immersion into water is significant in baptism. It symbolizes symbolizes a believer's public profession that they are desiring to be washed clean of the dirt and grime of their former selves or their former Gentile way of walking. And they are inviting the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside them, making them into new selves, able to walk as Jesus walked. They surrender themselves to the will and direction of the Spirit of God in their lives when it comes to their actions and the ways that they speak and the way that they live their lives. But the problem, as Paul sees it, for the Ephesians and for us as well, is the allure and enticement to wallow in the muck of sin like unbelievers appear to do freely without consequence. It appears that it is within our capability to discredit or dishonor what we have publicly professed in the baptismal pool. It seems that feelings of nostalgia towards our our, our former way of walking, our former time in the mud, or longings to return because we maybe have peer pressure from unbelievers around us, it seems to be a reality for the Ephesians. And if we can read between the lines, it seems that Paul is wanting to make that warning evidently clear. But we would be foolish to think that this is somehow, um, we are somehow immune to this struggle. Whatever the case, we should not try to backtrack or undo what we are professing through our immersion in the waters of baptism because sheep don't wallow, Christians don't wallow. Live your baptism by not retracing your former selves' muddy footprints. Living our baptism requires us to put on the right wardrobe. And while I'm honestly not the most fashionable guy, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I'm talking about a different kind of clothing that you can't buy at Kohl's. 
Paul uses the language of putting off and putting on when he speaks of being a new self or a new creation. This is the same language used when we speak of taking on and off garments of clothing. Believers take off the old self, which is corrupt and deceitful, and put on the new self, which is a renewed attitude created after the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness. New clothing that symbolizes a transformation is not a foreign as a concept as you might think. For the Ephesians in the Roman world, the elites in their society had a sort of coming of age ceremony for the young boys to don togas that would signify that they had become men. For today, we only have to think of perhaps students at the end of their high school or college careers donning caps and gowns signifying that they are no longer students but graduates. The wearing of unique or special apparel to communicate a change or transformation is not a foreign as a concept, as we might think. And Paul picks up on this imagery, and he expands it to encompass the transformation of a believer from an old self into a new self. This transmission of spiritual garments is what happens in the baptismal pool. The garments of the old self are washed away by the waters of baptism, and upon resurfacing, it's time to don the articles of clean clothing of the new self, which is cut from the same cloth, so to speak, from God himself by the Holy Spirit. It is God who shapes the outline of the new self and imbues it with his holiness and righteousness. In a way, the clothes that we put on after tossing out the old garments of the old self, these new clothes should make us resemble Jesus. When people see the clothes of our new selves we are wearing, they should mistake us for Jesus. But this change in spiritual wardrobe, what Paul says of putting off and putting on, should not be an isolated occurrence to just the sensation of being immersed in the baptismal waters. While this does occur there, putting off and the putting on of the new self, this is also a continual activity in our lives as we seek to live our baptism. Christian living requires continually putting off the old self and putting on Christ. Baptism is journey, not a destination. The goal is not the waters, but a way of life. Those of us who have been baptized must give regular and frequent attention to the process of regeneration and now sanctification that the Holy Spirit is now doing in our lives. Let me try to say that again, but minus all the fancy theology lingo, we must be actively aware and allow the Holy Spirit opportunities to continually form and shape us into the image of Christ from our baptism onward. Being baptized is just part of that journey, an entrance into this long journey of spiritual formation and growth, if you will. Baptism merely dissolves the old self that encumbered us beforehand to allow us the freedom to experience the fullness of, God, of the life God intended for us. But this means that every part of our lives, the entire facets of who we are, need to be immersed into the waters of baptism. This baptism journey encompasses the totality of our lives. We cannot and should not try to exempt parts of our lives from the touches of our baptism. How we live our lives, wherever we find ourselves, whether we're at school or we're at practice or we're at the grocery store or we're on social media or we're at our places of employment or we're at church, they should, anywhere we are, needs to be obviously wet by the waters of our baptism. 
the droplets of our baptism should be clearly evident on everyone who has been baptized, much like you can tell that someone has been hopping in the shower or swimming in the pool because of the dripping water that is coming off of them. No matter how long ago your actual baptism was, are the traces of your baptism soaked into the clothing that you put on each and every day. Don't try to hold on to the old garments of the old self. Don't store them away in a closet somewhere to quickly change into when you're around that certain group of people or you attend that activity or party or you hop online ready to let your opinions be known on the latest hot takes of the day. Don't try to bleach them. Don't try to iron out the wrinkles. Just get rid of them. Don't try to hold on to them. Our new garments of our new self in Christ should be all that we decide to wear each and every day. Our new wardrobe of Christ cannot hang on a hanger in the closet. Our, we cannot be caught out of uniform, church. The old self has to permanently go. We can't keep it, and we shouldn't try to. A married couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, and the party, at the party, everyone wanted to know how they had managed to stay married for so long in our day and age. And the husband responded, when, you, when we were first married, we made an agreement. I made all the major decisions, and my wife made all the minor decisions. At which point the wife took up the story and she said, well, in 60 years of marriage, we have never needed to make a major decision. <laughs> Choosing to put on the new self and put on Christ may sound like a major decision. A bit daunting, if we might be honest, in fact, because baptism itself is a major decision. But can I invite you to think that this major decision is actually made of a long series of minor decisions. You live your baptism one minor decision at a time, one step at a time, and pretty soon you're no longer longer walking like unbelievers do, and you're resembling Jesus Christ himself little by little. Can I invite you to think of living your baptism as a series of small decisions as opposed to simply one large one that you make on a Sunday like today when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning, live your baptism. When you walk into the school cafeteria and you see someone sitting by themselves, live your baptism. When you go to sports practice, live your baptism. When you're ordering takeout from a fast food restaurant and the service is actually just a little bit slower than you like, live your baptism. When an angry customer or client enters into your office, live your baptism. When you're at Memorial Stadium and you happen to be seated right next to someone else who the Cornhuskers are playing that day, live your baptism. When you're standing around the water cooler in the break room, live your baptism. When you're at the next board meeting or staff meeting, and you're a bit irritated about the agenda that day, live your baptism. When you're frustrated with your parents or annoyed with your siblings, live your baptism. When you're stuck in traffic or someone just cuts you off, Live your baptism. 
When you're frustrated with the political climate that we're in or you're mad about the COVID-19 mandates one way or another, wherever you may be, can I invite you to live your baptism? Baptism is more than the major choice of getting into a pool of water on a special Sunday like today. Baptism is a lived experience in the little moments of our day, minor, simple decisions in light of a major one. A story is told of a young girl who accepted Christ as her Savior and wished to be baptized to become a member of the local church. She went to her local pastor, and her pastor asked, Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, she answered, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced? asked the pastor. I don't quite know how to explain it, she said. Except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running away from sin. Baptism does not automatically make us perfect people. We'll still falter and even sin. But baptism does help heal and restore us back towards how God originally intended us to be bearers of his holy image. Baptism is an announcement that we invite and desire the Holy Spirit to fill us up and mold us into the image of God the Son. But it won't happen overnight. It won't even happen after a quick dip underwater. Baptism is a journey that God desires each and every one of us to tag alongside with him. It is a journey that requires living into. It necessitates avoiding retreading our former muddy footprints of sin or following in the footsteps of unbelievers around us. It requires us to be mindful of our spiritual wardrobe moment by moment, making small decisions of putting off our old self and putting on a new self that resembles Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us all, all of those that have been baptized or those interested in being baptized, but specifically for Sydney and Lily this morning, live your baptism.